0: If you have your Bibles with you, let's open back up to the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one in the chair in front of you, underneath the chair in front of you. We'd love for you to open that one up with us. Uh, if you need a Bible, please take that blue one home with you. We'd love for that to be our gift to you today. Maybe you know somebody who needs a Bible. Take that one home and give it to them. We'd love to be part of that. Uh, 1 John. 1 John is towards the back of the Bible It's a small letter written to a church in crisis, um, almost at the very back of the Bible. So it would be 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And as we finish up turning there, would you bow with me? And let's pray over our time in God's Word together. Father God... Uh, just as Darren said this morning, Father, um, before we, as we began, uh, God, our, our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone for distraction and for the worries of this world to overtake us. Father, we are grateful that we have a Father, that we have a God who desires to speak to us. What grace and mercy is this that the creator of the universe wishes to communicate with us? And so, Father, we know that. We know that this time is important where we open your word and we dive in deep and we drink deeply of your truth. And Father, we know we have an enemy that knows that too. And so, Father, I pray that would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? And as Darren said, Father, would, would the outside worries just fade away? There's so much on so many of our plates, Father. Life is busy, life is hard. Father, but may that fade away. May we get a glimpse of who You are, Your love for us. And Father, may we see Your love for us and may we desire to know You more and be more confident in our relationship with You. And Father, may we seek to follow what You tell us and love one another with a Christ-like love. Father, we we know You are faithful. And so, Father, we rely and we trust that you will do these things for us because you love us, because you are good, and because you love giving us what we ask for. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, First John. So there's a rumor there's a, big, uh, there's a big football game today. Is that true? Is that true? I wouldn't know anything about it. No? A Steelers fan says no, there's not a big football game. Yes, there is. Kansas City Chiefs are playing, and if they win today, they go to the Super Bowl. That's a big deal. Okay, that's a really big deal. I'm super excited. How confident are you that the Chiefs are gonna win today? I don't wanna hear from Steelers fans. Okay, gotta get a little. I'm pretty confident, okay? But on Monday, I was not confident, were you? On Monday, we didn't know if Patrick Mahomes, one of the best football players in the universe, was gonna play. We didn't know if he's gonna play or not. So my confidence level was about down here on Monday. But now we know that he's going to play. So what happens? It goes all the way up, right? Our conf- my confidence in the Kansas City Chiefs ebbs and flows. It goes up and down, depending on players, depending on the team we are playing. All kinds of things factor in, to my confidence level, in the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Patrick Mahomes doesn't really matter in this space, although I think he is evidence that God loves me, right? Uh, but other than that, but... In similar fashion, John the Apostle writes a letter to a church in crisis and he says, there are things in our lives that will grow our confidence in our salvation. And there are things in our lives that will decrease the confidence in our salvation. He's writing this letter to a a, a group of churches that have been split apart there were, believe, they were false believers who rose up in these churches teaching things like Jesus is not God. You don't need His blood to cover your sins. Teaching false things that lead people to hell. And they, in the grace of God, they left the church, but on their way out they're shouting, and by the way, you guys are not saved. Jesus doesn't love you, He loves us. And that has wrecked the confidence of this church. And so John writes them a letter, as we've talked about often. And his letter, he says, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may have confidence in your relationship with Him. And today, here's the big picture for today. What grows our confidence in God? Here's the big picture. John says, whoever loves his brother is in the light. Whoever loves his brother is in the light. Let's read together how our love for each other will grow our confidence. Let's read together. 1 John, big number 2, little number 7, goes like this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. That you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And here's this command Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The darkness has blinded his eyes. And so again, the focus here, how do I grow in my confidence, my relationship with God? The focus here is whoever loves his brother walks in the light. Whoever loves his brother can be confident that they they are right with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Whoever loves his brother is a faithful follower of Jesus. And he starts it out by saying, This is an old commandment. This is an old command. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by this is an old command? Well, John's first point is this is an old command. Love has always been a mark of God's faithful followers. Love has always been a mark of God's faithful followers. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. That you have heard from the beginning. So how far back does this love command go? How far back does love go in the faithful follower's life? How far back does this thing go? Does a love command or does love being central to our relationship with God, does that go back to when Jesus, just when Jesus shows up? No, it goes back farther than that. Does it go back to the Old Testament? Does the Old Testament show us? The, yeah, but it goes back farther than that. Love is so essential to our faith that it starts in eternity past. Love is a foundational element to our faith because love is a foundational element to who God is by His very nature. We hear the Bible says that that God is love. And we know that this is true because it's in the Bible, but we also know this is true because God has existed as the loving Trinity for eternity past. And that's how God is love. Because God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Who have existed in a loving, perfectly loving, perfectly joyful relationship with one another forever. So, what that means is, love did not start when God created the angels. Or when God created Adam and Eve. Love has always existed in the nature of God. That's why we can say with confidence what the Bible says, that God is love. If God was one God, one person, He wouldn't be loving in eternity past. He'd have no one to love. Love is essential for who we are. Love is an old command because it goes all the way back to the nature of God before the world even began. Love is bound up in the very nature of God. Therefore, love is bound up in the very nature of God's children. Love your brother, and you abide in the light. Goes back to eternity past. How far back does this love and the command, love command, go? Sometimes we get in the temptation to think that the Old Testament was about wrath, about judgment, about fighting about bloodshed and then Jesus shows up and all of a sudden it's everything's about love and so we like to separate these things old testament is is not loving and then the new testament shows up and everything's loving we have we have have that false sense we're tempted to believe these things but love has been foundational in all of scripture new testament and old testament in fact I believe as I read the old testament I find more loving passages Some of those passages that we might think are mushy, lovey passages. I find more of those in the Old Testament than the New Testament. Listen to how God describes His love for you in the Old Testament. In Psalm 91, we sang about it earlier. Psalm 91, He says, I long to be the mother hen that gathers you as my chicks under my wing." That's loving. See that picture? In Zephaniah 3.17, God describes His love for you this way. He says, The Lord your God is in your midst. Are you happy about that? He's in your midst. A mighty One who will save. Are you happy about that? He will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you by his love he will exult over you with loud singing the picture is this god your father is so pleased with you so loving towards you that he is singing over you he is singing his pride he is singing his love for you he can't help it he can't hold it in we got a ton of babies running around here we're not running we got a ton of babies who are here We got lots of new babies, something like nine or ten babies who call this church their home that are under one year old or around one. That's a blessing. And this picture is like this the new father sees his child for the first time and can't help it. The feelings are welling up in him that he bursts out in song. That's God's love for you. And we move to God describes his love this way Song of Solomon, the PG 13 book of the Bible it's a picture it's a a lesson about about how a husband and wife love each other but it's also also an allegory for God's love for his people and in that passage we see God loves us like a husband loves his wife we find these words I am my beloved beloveds and his desire is for me that's God's love for us and then we get what I think is the ultimate, the supreme depiction of God's love for us. When I I studied this 12, 13 years ago, it has stuck with me. I think about this all the time. The book of Hosea was written by Hosea the prophet in the Old Testament. And God comes to this prophet, this holy man. He says, I'm going to use your life to show my people how much I love them. And he says, you, Hosea, holy one of God, go and marry a prostitute. And Hosea goes and he marries this woman. He's obedient. First, you know, I okay, but he goes and he does it. And they have a nice life and they have a couple of kids. And then she leaves him. She abandons him and runs back to the red light district into prostitution and commits adultery. And God tells her, God tells Hosea this. Listen to this. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. That is God's steadfast love for us. God says there is nothing that you can do, Christian, that will stop His love for you. No matter how fast you run, no matter how far you run, God comes for you because you are His beloved one. Because of your faith in Christ, you are united to God the Father forever. So since this is our God, since our God is a loving God, our Father is a loving Father, His sons and daughters will inherit that all-important central element of His nature. His sons and daughters will be loving because He is loving. This goes back, John says, from the beginning. And so we see, if this is what God is, what what does He expect of His people? We see in the Old Testament. Old Testament, y'all. Old Testament. He says this in Deuteronomy. He's making an agreement between His people and Himself. And He says, this is what our relationship will look like. He says, this is what I require of you. Israel, God's people, faithful followers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love, love. And Jesus says, Jesus says, when He shows up, He says, I can sum up the entire Bible in these words. He says the law and the prophets. The entire Bible can be summed up in this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the whole of Scripture. If we could do that, it takes care of everything. We can do that. And of course, I'm so grateful that Jesus has given me his righteousness because can I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? No, but Jesus did. And he credits credits me that righteousness. Can I love my neighbor as myself? No. But Jesus did. And he credits me his righteousness. So since God is a God of love, love has always been a mark of faithful followers. So he says, church, I'm telling you this old command. Love your brother. That's an old command. It goes back from eternity past. Love your brother and your confidence will grow. And your confidence will grow. But then he says and he turns. And it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm writing to you an old command. And he goes, but it's kind of a new command as well. And the new command is this. Not just love, but Christ-like love is now the mark of God's faithful followers. So now, here's the new commandment, church. Love your brother. And this is a new commandment. I know it's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment. Now, not just love, but Christ-like love is the mark of God's faithful followers. He says at the same time, this is a new commandment, verse 8, that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him. True in Jesus. True, not as like a true or false question, but true meaning genuine. It is genuine in Jesus. And it should be genuine in you. Christ-like love for the brothers is a mark of a faithful follower. And John gets these words from Jesus Himself. John wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. John wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus' own words It sounds so similar to what John is saying here. Jesus says in chapter 13 of the book of John, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. New commandment. Not just love, but Christ-like love. Christ-like love is now the mark of a faithful follower. Old command, love your brother. New command, love your brother like Christ has loved you. That's the mark of a faithful follower. And so this is the difference. Old command, new command. This is how I see it. You remember in, in high school when you are in science class and you had the microscopes? You remember those microscopes? You remember those microscopes? Am I the only one? Yeah, remember those microscopes? And you would, take, uh, you would take the little slide and you would put something on the slide. I think I remember like plucking out a hair or spitting on it. Do you remember that? Maybe I wasn't supposed to do it, but I did it anyway. I spit on it. You slide it under the lens and you look through and you can see what's going on under there, right? Love your brother is that way. The old command, love your brother. You put your brother on the slide. You slide it under and you look through and you're loving your brother that way. And the new command is this. There's a little twister on that microscope. And you can click it and click it and click it and that thing zooms right in. And you can see that thing on, on a molecular level. getting so close that's a christ-like love we've put our brother on the slide we've slid him in we've loved him but now we love him deeper and better in a christ-like way we're zoomed right under we are seeing we are loving better closer more precise than ever before so now the question is, if I'm going to love my brother in a Christ-like way, how does Christ love us? I hope, if you've been with us long enough, I hope this is crystal clear in your mind. I hope we've talked about it until you're tired of hearing it, how much Christ loves you in the way that He loves you. Christ loves you genuinely. Genuinely. It's not just a mask He puts on. It's not just a facade. He really loves you. We read Scripture. Do we ever find a time where it looks like Jesus is just going through the motions, loving somebody? Oh, hi, I love you, but I really wish you'd get out of my face. Do we ever see that from Jesus? No. Every person He encounters, we can almost see it and taste it and smell it. He cares about this person. He he makes this person feel like a million dollars. Even when He's rebuking them, He's letting them know that He loves them. We see a genuine love. And we know the difference, don't we? When you go to lunch later today at the restaurant, your waiter or waitress will come up and go, Howdy, y'all. I'm so glad you're here. I'm here to serve you. And they're going to seem like they love you. Do they really love you? Maybe, but probably not, right? They are not doing anything wrong. Just, that's just not genuine love. We know that feeling. You know the f- difference between that and somebody sitting you down and saying, Tell me about your day. How can I help you? Let me encourage you. Christ's love is genuine love. Christ's love is patient love. How often have we seen, the book of Mark has been our central point in 2020 and 2021. How often have we seen in the book of Mark the disciples do something boneheaded? How often do we see them saying something wrong, doing something wrong, and Jesus going, oh guys, come on. How often do we see Peter rebuke Jesus to his face? And does Jesus cast him off? He says, oh Peter, All right, come on, let's work through this. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Let's go, we're fine, let's go, let's move on. Patience, love. How thankful are you, church, that God's love for you is patient? I feel like it happens to me once a month where I'll sin and I'll go, this has got to be the last one. Surely God will cast me off and I will just find Him as I always have. Faithful and patient. Have you felt that? I hope you have. His love for us is long-suffering. Hosea, go find your your wife who is cheating on you and lovingly bring her back. He's patient and long-suffering. His love for us is steadfast. He tells us, how great is this? He says, church, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that good news, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And finally, the pinnacle of Christ's love, Christ like love, is sacrificial love. That for For the sake of sinners who are self-declared enemies of God through our sinfulness and through our wicked hearts, Jesus Christ came in love and for their sake and dripping with grace and mercy. He died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve, church. And He rose again conquering sin, death, and hell for us. He walked the earth as a living sacrifice. Our love, Christ-like love, Toward us is sacrificial love. And so, there are many benefits to loving each other with Christ-like love. One of them being, if you love your brothers with Christ-like love, you can be confident that you are saved. How? Love others like a Christ-like love. That's kind of like saying... I played basketball. It'd kind of like be coming to me when I was in high school and saying, okay, you play play power forward? Play power forward like LeBron James. Now, none of you have seen me play basketball. She has. So she's the only one that goes, hmm, you didn't quite cut it. I didn't play basketball like LeBron James. It's impossible for me to play basketball like LeBron James. It would take a miracle for me to play basketball like LeBron James. It'd be like saying, paint. You paint, you need to go paint like Rembrandt. Some of y'all are extremely talented. That's impossible for us to paint like Rembrandt. Take a miracle for us to paint like Rembrandt. Write a story. Write it like Ernest Hemingway. It's impossible. Take a miracle. Play quarterback. Play quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. It would be impossible for me to play, play football like Patrick Mahomes. Love Jesus like Christ, love love others like Christ loved you. That's impossible. I'd sooner be able to play football like Patrick Mahomes than me to be able to love you like Jesus loves me. That's impossible. It takes a miracle. And so, guess what? When you love your brothers like Jesus loves you, it's a miracle. It is evidence that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. There's no other explanation. Every second you love your brothers like Christ loves you is a miracle and should grow your confidence by saying, I loved them when they were unlovable. I loved that preacher when he was unlovable. Only the Holy Spirit could make that happen. Ezekiel says it this way so important to the gospel. When you come to Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will do things only the Holy Spirit can make you do, like love your brothers. Ezekiel says it works out this way. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I, God says, will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh. That heart of stone that wouldn't allow you to love your brothers like Christ loved you. That heart of stone that wouldn't let you love your enemies. I will replace it with a heart of flesh so that you may love your brothers. Like Christ loved you. New command. Not just love, but Christ-like love. And that Christ-like love should build our confidence. Because only the Holy Spirit can do that. Now, it's important to understand this is the command, that's the new command. What's the target of this new command? Who am I commanded to love in this way? New command. Not just Christ-like love in general, but Christ-like love for the church. Christ-like love for the church. John is writing this letter to a church and he says, you loving each other is what I'm talking about. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Who are we called to love with a Christ-like love? Here. The brothers and sisters that are sitting around you. This group that left their church and flung hatred at their once church members, they are not loving their brothers and their sisters. We are children of God. I know we call that for every person on the planet. And there's a sense where that's true, that God created us all, and so we're all in that sense children of God. And God loves them, sure, but we are His children, children. We are His sons and daughters birthed by the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are His children. And so, if I am His son and you are His son, who are we? Brothers. If you are His daughter and she is His daughter, who are you? Sisters. Love your brothers with a Christ-like love you'll grow in confidence of your salvation should we love everyone with a Christ like love yes that would be great but here's the point if you're not loving these people with a Christ like love you are surely not loving them with a Christ like love. you got to start where it starts you got to start here if I were to try to convince you that I'm a loving person, and I said, look, I went over to Jim Hubner and I loved him and I did it this way and I, I took care of him and I supplied all these, and then you saw me at home beating my wife and hating my children, would you say that I'm loving? Well, I love Jim really well. No, you've got to start with the most important people around you. And that's your family. If you're not loving your family... You're not a loving person. Doesn't matter what I'm doing to other people. Got to start there in the same way to be a loving person. You must start where Christ wants you to start. You must start with the people who are your brothers and sisters. Christ like love, be- love begins with the church. Therefore, confidence from Christ like love begins at church. And so, everything that we said about Christ's love for us. We must show those around us in our church. To grow in confidence is to understand that Christ-like love means that we will love our church family with a steadfast love, with a long-suffering love, with a genuine love, with a patient love, with a sacrificial love, with a love that's not afraid to ha- have hard conversations. So why? Why does Christ-like love for the brothers in particular, why does Christ-like love for my church grow my confidence? The church is an amalgamation unlike any other organization around the planet. Because the church calls brothers and sisters people from all different cultures and races and desires and preferences and personalities and likes and dislikes with different sinful inclinations different social demographics we have people from this side of the tracks and people from that side of the tracks and we've got people with different economic de- demographics we got rich people we got poor people we got different hopes and dreams different politics different maturity levels and all these people are wrapped up together and they come together and they love each other with a Christ like love only the Holy Spirit can make that happen that's the miracle of the church that is one of the driving forces behind how the church has grown for 2,000 years because people look at this group of Christians you got Greeks and you got Jews you got white people you got black people you got rich people and poor people you got slaves and free people and they say they're loving each other Outside those walls, they hate each other and they kill each other. But in that building, with that family, they love each other. And the world says, that's weird. And the church says, it's a miracle. And it is evidence that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We used to have two generations in church. They're real, they were real close. right? So you have some differences and preferences and things, but mostly it would be okay. Nowadays, we have five generations. Now, what does the younger generation have in common with the older generation? Probably not music. Probably not sense of fashion. Probably different political ideas. Probably different desires and likes. What do they have in common? Jesus! Jesus is what they have in common. And when Jesus and Jesus alone solidifies us as a church family and screams to the world, a miracle happened. A miracle happened. And with all these generations, with all these preferences and ideas, church is hard and it's always been hard for 2,000 years. And it will be hard until Jesus comes back. Why? Unity is hard. We talk about it all the time around here. Unity, unity, unity above almost anything. Church unity, Paul says. Unity is hard. Why? Intergenerational church can be hard. Why? God allows it to be hard because it is only when it's hard that our Christ-like love is truly on display. If you were a congregation filled with 35-year-old middle-class white guys who love the chiefs, It'd be easy for me to be unified with you. But some of y'all are Steelers fans. I find it really difficult. When it's hard, Jesus is glorified. It's like this. If I told you, man, I just got back from working out, and you said, how was it? I said, man, it was relaxing. What would you determine? You didn't work out. Every church in existence believes that they are. What's, What's one of your strengths? You ask a church that, every church will say, we're just like a family. Every church I've ever encountered said that. The trick is to be a loving family when things get hard. That's the trick. And that's what glorifies God. And that's why God allows it to be hard. Because when it's hard, the miracle is revealed. When that group left this church and the church gathered together and they're saying, ah, oh, maybe this person's going to leave too. I don't know what's going on. And we're just crumbling and the Holy Spirit is the only thing that could keep them together. And then this church solidifies and, and is healed and is stronger. That church will look back and go, look what we have been through. Only God can do that. That's why it grows our confidence. And this miracle... It's not just for us, it's for them. Like we said, the church is on display when we disagree and we still love each other this way. Church is on display. Jesus tells us that Himself. He says, they will know that you are My faithful followers if you want love one another. If We want to see faithful followers being made. 30,000 unchurched people within 10 miles. If we want to see faithful followers be made. If we want to see 1,000 faithful followers be made. 2,000 faithful followers be made. We have to love one another as Christ has loved us. And then John gives us two, as we close out our time, two concrete things that we can do. Do you want to love your church like Christ loves you? Do you want to work towards being this beacon of hope in the world to say, man, that church is weird. they got old people, young people, white people, black people, Rich people, poor people, and they love each other. That's weird. If you want to show off Jesus, show off the Holy Spirit, here are two things that we must do. Christ-like love doesn't push away the church family. It embraces the church family. John says whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Hate is a word that we use differently than John wrote. Okay? We use it differently. When I talk about hate, I talk about a real like. When I hate the Steelers, I got a guttural inside hatred for the Steelers. You know what I mean? I'm gonna get in so much trouble after this. You know what I mean? That when we say hate, what do we mean? We mean deep down feelings. But that's really all we mean. We could when we talk about hate. I could hate somebody and they never know it. You know what I mean? That's what we talk about. That is a foreign concept to this word here. This Greek word here is maseo. And it means a feeling certainly. But what maseo means is a feeling that has led to a separation. It's a feeling that led to the act of being torn asunder. And where we say hate and we land on feeling, they say maseo and they land on separation. It's like when Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26. Same word there. Hate. Maseo. What's Jesus saying? He's not saying we should treat people poorly or we should have this this bitterness in our heart toward them. What's He saying? He's saying if your family comes to you and they say, it's Jesus or us. Maseo you must separate and go with Jesus. If the authorities come to you, Jesus says, and says, your life or Jesus choose, you must maseo your life and cling to Jesus. I think about my friend in Cambodia I met on a mission trip. 19, 20 year old Cambodian. He, he knew more Scripture than anybody I've ever met. Talked it all the time. Just saturated with it. And when I learned his story, he said exactly this. He said, my family came to me when I became a Christian. They said, it's us or it's Jesus, and he chose Jesus. Maseo, he loves his family. So, a better definition, maseo, to allow your feelings for someone to sever all ties with them. And so, we see this in that context, right? That that those, that group of people who are really false believers who are separating stuff, ripping them apart. Throwing hatred back their way. They maseoed us. They maseo. They hate us. John says anyone who hates the brothers does not have the light. And look, we're not talking about leaving a church, right? You can leave a church in a loving way, can't you? You can also leave a church in a maseo way. If you've been in church long enough, you've felt that and seen that. talking about guttural hatred that leads to actions. Ripping God's church asunder. And so now, when he says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now, here's the problem that we're in now. Because I used to be able to say, I don't hate anybody. Check. But when I understand Maceo at that level, do I let my feelings for some of my church family separate us? It becomes a little more difficult. And so, anyone who, Maseo, who hates the brothers, is walking in darkness. And then he goes on to say they're going to walk out. They're walking out the church. If you're disconnected to a group of believers, especially in a hateful way, and you go out, he says, you're walking out into darkness. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going. But on the positive side then, the closer you are to your church family, the more confident you can be. In your faith, the more confidence you will feel in your walk with God. When you have negative feelings toward your church family and yet you embrace them, that should grow your confidence. And finally, concrete way you can live, have Christ-like love for your church that grows your confidence. Christ-like love protects the church's faithful following. He says, whoever loves his brother, verse 10, whoever loves his brother, abides in the light, and in Him there is no cause for stumbling. Remember that? We're following Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're wanting to go as close as possible. And the New Testament all over the place says that as Christians are following with one another, sometimes I'll say, man, Joey's right there, huh? Oh, man, that guy. And I'll pick up a rock on the side of the road and throw it right in His feet. And he'll fall over as we're following Jesus. Or I think about it sometimes. You know those potholes that drive you crazy? We've got one on our street. Boom! You know, go like that. It's like sometimes we'll be walking and there's some things that we can do to stomp a hole right in the the road. And then the faithful following of our church, somebody will go and stumble over it. What are some of those potholes? What are some things that make us stumble? He says, if we love our brothers, there's going to be no cause for stumbling. So if there's something in my life, in my heart, that threatens the faithful following of my church family, I am not... Faithfully loving them. I am not loving them like Christ. These things, these potholes can be sin. If you have sin in your life, it can bleed over into your church family. Anger. You could be unrighteously angry in your church, at your church, at somebody else. Uh, One of the churches that I've been a part of had these two little old ladies. They were like 90 years old. And they hated each other. Nobody knew where it came from, but they hated each other. And that anger... They, didn't sit, they would sit there, and she would sit there, she would sit there. They'd never go to the same Sunday school class, but they would hate each other. They could, you could feel it. You could feel it. Anger is a pothole that causes stumbling. Gossiping, slandering. They're not gossip. They're not slander. That causes stumbling, and that reveals a heart that is not loving with a Christ-like love. And gossiping should decrease and will decrease our assurance of our salvation. Having a critical spirit in church. Coming in and just having this thought that I'm going to pick apart and nitpick what's going on here. And I, I'm not having a... It's not, they're not consequential things for the gospel. But man, I'm just going to... Every little thing, I come in and I... This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Causes stumbling. Grumbling or complaining, Scripture says. Causes stumbling. That, that's like a virus, isn't it? Know anything about viruses lately? Get a little this little grumble. I say this little grumble to this person and they grumble this person, this person, this person. Spreads. Pride or selfish ambition causes stumbling. And so John would say a Christ-like love that we are commanded to have for the brothers is a love that makes sure we are not causing others to stumble. We must be conscious that our actions and words have an effect on how you follow Jesus and how he follows Jesus and how she follows Jesus. Come on, preacher. They're adults. They're not my responsibility. Come on. I'm responsible for them. Mallory and I, as I told you last week, we're doing a we're we're reading through the Bible together on in the mornings, and we read through Gen- we're reading through Genesis as one of the passages, and we got to Cain and Abel. Remember this story? It's the second sin and the first murder. You remember this story? Cain kills his brother Abel, by smashing his head in with a rock, and God comes and he asks Cain, he says, Cain, where's your brother? God knew where his brother was. Where's your brother? His blood in the ground cries out to me. Where's your brother? Remember what Cain says. Who am I? My brother's keeper. Yes. That is how God has designed the church. That's how God has designed his faithful followers to be. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. And your sister's keeper. And they are your keeper. We are designed... To help each other faithfully follow Christ. And that's how we work. That's how this place works. That's how this place works best. Is this church is the vehicle by which our faith grows and matures, by which we can minister and receive the blessings from ministry, all these things. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. You and I, church, you and I, we are intertwined for eternity. We are intertwined for eternity. Church, you and I, we are each other's keeper. We are intertwined for eternity. God wants us so close that He has put this great blessing in our relationship that that my confidence in God rests partly in my relationship with you. Let's love each other with a Christ-like love. Let's be weird. Let's be so weird that the community looks at us and goes, man, those people at Trinity, they're weird. They love each other. They love people they shouldn't love. And I love people in a way that I've never seen before. There must be something to this Jesus guy. Do you love your church with a Christ-like love? That's our hope. Our hope is that when you come here and join us, that you feel that imperfect though it may be, you see people who are trying to love you like Jesus loves us.